Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another All-22 podcast. you got Rain Chris on today. Uh, we're going to talk about it right off the bat. We are live for signups using promo code Second Season. That's the number two ND season where you can get 20% or excuse me, $20 off the first year of your All-22 membership. So get in there and sign up. It's only a couple more weeks to get a draft in. And if you can't tell, I'm like pretty hyped up right now because Ray and I have a nice trip to go on tomorrow to celebrate all 22 Bobby. Uh, I'm pumped, Ray. How do you feel? You don't look great, but I feel great. Yeah, like long drives are not usually part of the agenda for, uh, for you know, late August, early September, unless we're going to like an actual football game. And who knows? Maybe we are. That's that's part of the beauty of the mystery here, right? So, um yeah, super excited. This is this is the greatest time of year heading into Labor Day weekend. You know, you got college football like sort of full-blown kickoff now, week away from the NFL. Things are great. Things are things are fantastic. Could not be any better. Good. Glad glad you feel that way looking how you look. Um I wanted <laughs> exactly. to tell everybody really quickly about the IR process updates that we've made to the All 22 game. So we've decided to kind of fine tune that IR process and step-by-step, I'm going to go through what what we did here. So essentially player updates to injuries will be made hourly going forward. You will get an update on your IR status, injury status, questionable out every hour. And then players with that IR status will still be automatically removed from your active roster and put onto your IR. If you don't know where that is. If you go to your my team page at the bottom of that page, you'll see your active roster and your IR. That's where you could kind of toggle between those two sections and see the players that are on your active roster, the players that have been pulled and put onto your IR. So where things kind of changed from last year is last year we were automatically removing a player from IR once that tag got changed. So if a player got taken off of IR from the real team, we were removing them automatically from the IR of your team. The reason we decided to change this is because there were people that essentially would get stuck, you know, working late at nights on, you know, Wednesday, Thursday night, and they wouldn't see that that pull would put them over that 53 roster limit. Um, And we don't want to do that to people, right? That's that's that would be unfortunate. So what we decided to do is we will automatically remove people from your IR only on Tuesday at 3 p.m. So the other time that you will uh, get to do this is any time, but you have to do it yourself. So if you want to pull somebody from IR that's active and looking to play, you have to go to your IR status on your My Team page, and you can. There's a button there for you to just pull them back onto your active roster. You can do that at any time before that player's game starts. So this is a big change. We think it'll give you more flexibility and uh, just put everybody else in a better situation to win. Yeah, essentially to really boil it down in, in, in one sentence, right? It um, You're still doing your real-time pull for players on IR in the NFL onto your injured reserve in All-22 because when that happens, they serve you no purpose, right? They're not going to play, but you now have the flexibility to at any time remove that player from your injured reserve back onto your active roster if you do anticipate them playing uh, you know, on the upcoming Sunday or, or Monday or Thursday game. Uh, while they still have that uh, IR designation tag on them. So uh, just 
more you know user flexibility throughout the week, uh, just giving you the ability you need to make all the moves you need to before the games kick off. Exactly. And Ray, we have something kind of fun going on behind the scenes, but we're actually in a rookie draft with the PFF employees. So we have Sam, we have Steve, we have Trevor, we have all those guys on this uh, all 22 league that we've been running now. This is year three. We have a rookie draft going right now. And I'm pretty pumped because of course, of course, I got my guy, Captain Jack Campbell, and then I got Emmanuel Forbes, but I actually got Forbes in the first round and Campbell in the second round this year. Who did you end up with uh, so far? Oh my gosh. I, uh, I ended up with Christian Gonzalez and uh, Broderick Jones. So I got sniped right off the bat, right? Paris Johnson was taken from, from my grasp early on. So I couldn't get uh, my OT one in this class, but uh, I like it. I, I think the Gonzalez and Forbes, I mean, we talked about it on the draft show, right? There's they're essentially, at least in my opinion, a toss up for CB one Forbes made, I think sort of was our sort of content consensus final cornerback one in this class. But I think those are two really talented corners and what was a strong cornerback class this year. So uh, yeah, great stuff. It's still going on right now. And so that's just, again, what makes this time of year so fun. We're, we're winding down those rookie drafts sort of, you know, fine tuning the rosters before the sprint of the NFL season begins. Exactly. And I'll admit I'm an episode behind on Hard Knocks still, so I'm not going to talk about Hard Knocks like we have been. But let's go into the preseason storylines because there's been a few big ones the past week, right? And the biggest of which is Trey Lance is traded to the Cowboys. Uh, So, Ray, before I kind of give my opinion, of course, I'm going to go to the Cowboy fan and ask, what do you think? He's just a backup quarterback. That's all he is. He's a backup quarterback with some upside. His physical profile is pretty close to Dak Prescott's, so it makes sense. Uh, as far as what it what it goes for getting a backup quarterback for someone like Dak Prescott, right? That same stylistic approach. I think we talked about it last episode, maybe an episode before, about a backup quarterback uh, such as Tanner McKee for Jalen Hurts. Great quarterback, right? Or, or at least as a backup is concerned, his performances were great, talking about Tanner McKee. But stylistically, there's a bit of a mismatch there, right? And so I think when you went from... Uh, Dak Prescott to Cooper Rush last year, you saw a change in just the type of throws that they're able to make and the way that they play the game. There's a change in the offense uh, that has to be made when you go from one quarterback to the other. And yes, there's always going to be a step down in quality of play when you're talking about losing a starter, right? Um, But you would prefer as, as an offensive coordinator, as a coaching staff, to not have to change your offense itself so much. Uh, if you do have to rely on those backup quarterbacks. And so I think what Trey Lance allows the Cowboys to really do is maintain uh, that that offensive style and play calling uh, because he has that same profile as Dak Prescott. And then for Trey Lance himself, I think it's a good spot for him. Uh, again, just sort of take a step back. Yeah, he needs a ton of reps. And I mean, he just he's just not going to be able to get them in the regular season if all goes according to plan. Um, but when you have an established quarterback in front of you, when it comes to uh, training camp and the preseason uh, for 2024 and beyond, that allows a young player like Trey Lance to really take the lion's share of those reps and develop at that time while for whatever they're worth, you know, taking the mental reps, so to speak, uh, from someone like a Dak Prescott who has that similar profile to them. So I think it's more of a long-term developmental play for Trey Lance, and then in particular for a team like the Cowboys, 
you have another quarterback in the room that kind of fits the profile of your starter. So that allows you to stay consistent uh, week to week if for any reason you need to go to him. For sure. And I mean, it's a cheap backup, right? You traded a fourth round pick for a backup that could be, right, has all the pet potential in the world to be a high-end starter even, right? And that's what the 49ers were banking on. Didn't work out for them, but it doesn't mean it couldn't work out for the Cowboys. Although it seems like what they're really trying to do is just get, like you said, a, a backup that fits the mold of Dak. Uh, you know, Dak, we have him as our eighth ranked quarterback for like dynasty. I, I think he's a top 10 quarterback. So I think all the hype around Lance potentially taking his job is is kind of hogwash. Uh, the only yeah. thing that is interesting to me is you look Bayless or whoever. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what's it, the only part of it that's a little interesting to me is the way that the money's set up and the the years, right? So like Dak has uh, his contract runs out in 2024, but they owe him money in 25 and 26. So like they you do that knowing that you're going to sign him to an extension, so that that money you're not having somebody with dead cap on your your team, right? And Dak being quarterback can play well into his thirties. So I think that's the agenda, but he does technically run out in 2024. Whereas Lance has now 23 and 24 with the Cowboys. And I believe they will inherit that fifth year option for him that they can pull. So that's when it gets interesting if they decide to pull that fifth year option and use it. And they would then have Lance on the books in 2025 and not have Dak on the books. So Maybe I'm reading into it too much. Again, I think they'll likely extend Dak way before that. But if we don't see a Dak extension, we see them pick up that fifth year option on Lance. That's when I think people can start talking and maybe the rumor mill should start at that point. Yeah. And we're a long way off from that, right? It, it could be a simple play of, hey, let's get him in here. Right. Obviously, you want to see what, what you got with the upside and for the next two years, have that quarterback in your room. And they could also just say, all right, when his contract runs out, I think he would be part of the compensatory pick formula at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So even if you don't bring him back, he'll get signed somewhere. He's a quarterback and you know, you can get a fourth or fifth round compensatory pick, you know, three years from now. Anyway, that kind of, you know, makes up for what you just traded for him. So, um, lots of different angles that can be taken, uh, when looking at the Trey Lance, you know, saga acquisition, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, let's just let it play out. Yeah. And then the couple other trades happened, but a lot smaller in uh kind of scope, right? It's like Albert OK gets traded to the Eagles. I think he's like a decent player and could end up doing okay there. Um, Cardinals trade for Josh Dobbs, right? So like that was a big storyline just because they released Colt McCoy, who was projected to be their starter. Now they have jo uh, Dobbs and a rookie quarterback going into week one. So they haven't named a starter yet, but could Dobbs really be their plan to be their starter? seems to be that way, which is kind of an interesting thing to, to follow. I think from an all 22 perspective, don't touch Josh Dobbs just because like that offense is going to be so bad and that team's just going to be so bad. Situation will be really hard for him. Don't really think it's worth the flyer. Uh, and then a couple injuries, Jerry Judy, you know, is dealing with some injury stuff. JSN is dealing with some injury stuff Two kind of similar players, right. With the way they play football, just route running smaller sized receivers. Um, and that's kind of like the risk you take with some of those type players, right. It's like the injury concerns are real. Uh, and we've talked kind of at nausea about Jerry Judy. So I don't want to talk too much about him here. Uh, but one other kind of big move and it's a, it, it was a move to retain a player was the Dolphins signing Zach Seiler to a three-year contract extension. So we've kind of talked about the positional value and all those things. I think this is a really interesting example of that. 
because Siler is one of those players who isn't really an every down guy, right? So he had 500 snaps basically in 2020 and 2021 before getting closer to 900 last year. So last year was really the first time that he's like this every down player, but it's still like he didn't even get to a thousand snaps, right? Most starters in the NFL get to a thousand snaps. So they give him a three-year $38.65 million deal with $20 million guaranteed, right? So again, he's making more per year right now than the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, so something just really interesting, right? This this kind of work-sharing uh, defensive interior that has played well and is is valuable to the to the Dolphins is making more than the best running backs in the NFL right now. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, we just uh, poor running backs. We just, I mean, we don't do it. We don't do it. We just observe what's happening. But yeah, they just every which way you look at it, they're just getting beat up on. Uh, and Zach Siler himself, yeah, he's a, he's a good player. He's 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 a very good rotational piece. That's that's a key piece uh, over there in Miami. So you definitely it's good to to lock that player up through his age thirty season. Um, Again, just continuing to solidify the depth and rotation around that defense that everybody is so high on. It's a great unit with a lot of talent at all three levels, uh, which, you know, again, a rising tide that lifts all boats for all players that are in that lineup. Of course, they're dealing with the Ramsey injury and such, but there's still a ton of talent at every level of that defense. So uh, that's just another piece there that someone who doesn't get the headlines might not be uh, you know, someone that's talked about enough or is, is really appreciated, but has a key role uh, for the Dolphins and could be, you know, a valuable player in all 22 as far as a rotational piece is concerned if you need him for a given week. Right, exactly. I think that's the, the best way to put it, right? If you have him as your defensive interior three, that's the perfect spot for him, right? Because there's a chance, there's a chance he's not going to get that snap count minimum as a starter, even though it's a small chance. Um, he's a great player to have. But let's get into kind of some of the performances of preseason week three, starting off just kind of with Brock Purdy, who played some snaps. He looked okay. He completed a pretty nice comeback to Ayuk. That was a long throw to the outside um, for a decent gain. And his arm looked fine. Like I didn't see any like, you know, he wasn't like milking it at all. He wasn't um, kind of holding back uh, and he, he ran for a touchdown, but he didn't grade out particularly well for the game. No big time throws, but also no turnover worthy plays. So I think it was just kind of like a, you know, happy to see him out that's, there kind of thing. That's Brock Purdy. No big time throws. Maybe not any no turnover worthy plays either. That's just, that's Brock Purdy. That's, he's back. back. He's back. Right. Exactly. Uh, next guy, Julius Chestnut. I'm going to talk about Sacred Heart running back that is now with the Titans, his second year. He had a blazing preseason, right? Uh, they destroyed the Patriots. He had three touchdowns in his three games and two were receiving. So kind of adds a different style of running back to that room with Derrick Henry, right? Being that every down ground, uh, grind them kind of running back. Now you get a guy with a little more receiving ability, uh, but he's probably going to be number three behind another running back that did really well, which is Tajay Spears. So interesting group to watch. And if Derrick Henry now being, I think, 30 years old, starts to look a little bit washed, and this could be the last year he's with the Titans, I think Chestnut and Spears could be an interesting combo going forward. Uh, Bryce Young threw a couple of pretty uh, throws to Adam Thielen. One went for a touchdown on a really nice ball, uh, but there was good good protection on the play. Bryce just sat in the pocket, throws just like a kind of a lofting touchdown pass to Thielen, but it was it was really pretty, and that's what you want to see from him. So that's exciting. Uh, Anthony Richardson still showing a lot of good, but also a lot of bad. 
uh, struggling with accuracy. Even when he's completing passes, they're kind of outside the frame of the receiver that you typically see your starting quarterback make. Um, the interesting thing is he's still hitting those big time throws like with ease. Those are the throws that he makes look easy. Um, and another interesting thing is they're running a ton of RPO. So every highlight you see of him is basically an RPO play where he's, um, you know, faking a handoff, throwing the ball, but he adds a different element, right? When you have a running quarterback doing those kind of plays, it's not just run pass, it's run pass run, right? He has that third element where he could always tuck and just go. And I think defenses are already seeing how dangerous he could be with that. So I, I really like that for him. Uh, but Ray, what did you think of his fly Eagles fly celebration there? I mean, the stakes couldn't be any higher, you know, I mean, you just have to bust out that celebration when, <laughs> when, you know, just everything is on the line, you know, you just lay it all out there and it's just that competitive fire, you know, you just, you can't help it. You can't help it. You, you just can't contain that beast, you know? Yeah. Guys having fun, little JV, <laughs> but guys having fun. Uh, I think, I think you glossed over the, 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 the real discussion here, which is that. Sam Darnold's the best quarterback in San Francisco. I'm just going to say it again. He's the best quarterback in San Francisco. Uh-huh. We'll just keep going. Kenny Pickett led the preseason. Look at the grades. <laughs> Kenny Pickett led the preseason with a perfect 4 for 4 uh, at the end of his uh his preseason run, but he led all quarterbacks with a 93.7 PFF grade. I don't know what Sam Darnold's was. I'm assuming it was much worse than that. Um was, Drew Lock and Jordan Love. Good. Drew Lock Kenny Pickett's not in Love. San Francisco. What does that have to do with it? Why are you comparing those two? No, I'm just saying, like, you know, Brock Purdy's at least, you know, starting level player. Sam Darnold has proven he's probably not. Uh, oh, yeah. So, uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh -huh. Drew Locke and Jordan Love have finished off what they also had very strong preseasons, uh, and they battled each other, each throwing what looked like the easiest touchdown ever, uh, but both looked really good. So Drew Locke, you know, another guy, another backup quarterback. You're talking about Sam Darnold. I'm talking about Drew Locke. But Jordan Love being a starter there in Green Bay, pretty exciting to see that he had a pretty uh, good preseason. There's one thing I wanted to talk to you about that I didn't, I didn't prep you for at all. But there's every year there's usually a team that has a, a draft class that helps transform the future of that organization, right? I don't know if you remember the Colts a few years ago had one right with uh, Quentin Nelson and a couple offensive other offensive linemen, uh, uh, Darius Leonard, who I don't think goes by Darius anymore, um, Shaquille. Shaquille Leonard. And then you even go a little further back, right? And it happened to the Saints where they drafted a ton of starters in one draft. I think that there could be one of those classes in this, this draft class. And I hate to say it because I always like to hate on the Browns. But so far, the picks that they made seem to be really, really good players. And they didn't even have a first round pick. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts around guys like Cedric Tillman, Saki Aiki, uh, DTR, Dewan Jones, and Luke uh, Weiler, right? Like that's a ton of names that showed out this preseason. Obviously, we need to see it in the regular season, but could this be one of those classes? Yeah, and we it's 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 funny because, like you mentioned, no first round pick, right? And we talked about a lot of those guys, and we liked a lot of those guys, right? Uh, Dewan Jones, in particular, huge upside player at offensive tackle, all the way in the fourth round. Uh, I mean, that's you know he's not a complete player by any stretch, but that's a heck of a pick in the fourth round because apparently in his pre-draft interviews, he talked about, you know, dreaming about playing basketball. Like, okay, I want my offensive tackles playing basketball. That's, that's very good for, for their mirroring and their footwork. And it translates really well. So 
whatever, right? Uh, Cedric Tillman, another uh, just big body receiver that really was was hampered by some injuries in college and could have went a lot higher and probably a year ago if if his college uh, career just you know went according to to plan, right? So uh, he's he's a prototype wide receiver, uh, Siaki Ika. Uh, the defensive interior player, kind of what you see is what you get. Just a big, stout, uh, you know, interior, you know, player there uh, with a lot of strength. We've talked ad nauseum already about Dorian Thompson Robinson. Bobby loves him. He's had a strong preseason. And we spent a lot of time on Luke Weipler at center uh, when doing our sort of center overview and preview of the class back in the spring. And Luke Weipler was one of those guys who performs really well frame wasn't prototypical, but again, we're talking about centers. It, they usually aren't. And then everything else sort of checked out when you just watch the tape and watch them play football. So for him to go all the way, to, you know, to pick 190 in the sixth round, that's a heck of a that's a heck of a pick for the Browns. So I think in each pick, they got value at the very least, right? Given that they didn't have a first round pick, didn't have a pick until the third round. So uh, but you know, the majority of those picks from round, you know, two picks in the third, fourth and fifth, and then Weipler in the sixth, they got good value in each of those and seem to have hit on the majority of them, at least right off the bat. So again, you kind of tap the brakes a little bit because you have Deshaun Watson there. So it's not like, uh, you know, DTR is going to have a big role as a starter right off the bat or anything like that to really impact that franchise. But all the other players around him, you know, you're talking a wide receiver, an offensive tackle. I mean, those are two of the, you know, what, top three or four premium uh, high value positions in the NFL. And they early returns on those picks are, are really good. And then you have Luke Weipler well, as well at center. They already have a strong offensive line. So if you can hit on those young draft picks so that in the future you're not spending, you know, high end resources, whether it's on free agency or in the draft to replenish that offensive line, then that's great for your roster health moving forward. So yeah, the the Browns so far, you know, early on have done a really good job, uh, you know, in 2023 with that, with their rookies. So yeah, I could totally see that happening. Uh, Again, none of them have played a, a regular season NFL game yet, but the early returns are positive. And even just coming out of that draft or heading into the draft, we talked about a lot of those players pretty favorably. Right, exactly. All right, so let's move on to our hidden gem segment, right? Everybody's favorite, and we're going to do the NFC East. And I'm a little bit reluctant to do this just because Ray's a Cowboy fan, and I think he's going to just have nothing but bad things to say about everybody else. So I'm going to kick it off with the Commanders. Um, and I'm, I am pulling Ray when I say that uh, Sam Cosme is brutally underrated, and he's probably somebody to, you know people know about already, but I think he needs to be talked about more, so I'm going to talk about him. So Cosme was not my favorite prospect coming out of Texas, but he was a very reliable player and essentially was placed right into the uh, the lineup there in Washington. Uh, he played left tackle in college, but moved to right tackle where he played his first two years for Washington. Um, but he dealt with some injuries, right? So he missed some time. And personally, I think he's better fit for the tackle position with his frame, right? He's kind of a long player, but they are moving him to guard this year. Um, the reason I want to talk about him is because guard we've talked about, right? It's an extremely hard position to draft in all 22. So when you get a guy like Cosme, who's already graded out really well in his, in his young career, right? He's a, he's a high seventies player already playing at the tackle position, moving to guard. That's a very valuable investment. And in a young player, uh, one thing I want to note, you know, moving him to guard, 
one of his biggest strengths is his run blocking. And in 2021, he had an 81.3 run blocking grade on 192 run blocking snaps. So again, something you really like to see in a player that's going to be moving to guard is that his, you know, his strength is run blocking. Uh, Cosme kind of surprises you as well because he's so long and he's so tall. Uh, he sets his body really well on run plays. Uh, you can see he's always putting himself in good position. He creates lanes off of himself, something that usually you see kind of the smaller, heavier guards do because they, you know, they could get into position easier um, and they have like lower body, uh, lower center of gravity where they could create these lanes. But Cosme does it really well at, you know, his height. So something I like to see. So again, if you're going to gamble on a player at guard, I think, you know, you get a couple positives. One, he could play multiple positions. Um, he grades pretty highly already and he plays, he plays guard and he's young. So go ahead and bet on a guy like Cosme. Yeah, I thought about picking him. I just thought that would be taking the easy way out, so I didn't pick him. But yeah, you know. and now you're like, you know, you're Mister like, you know, trying not to take the easy way. But okay, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I like I like the player. I like the pick for for all the things you mentioned there. Um, given the lack of depth or quality depth at guard in the league, because like I said, I, I almost took him as my player. So I'm just going to go uh, one slot over, and I went with Charles Leno. Uh, and it's weird because it's like kind of 10 year, 31 year old vet be a hidden gem, but yeah, just cause he's been around a while doesn't mean he's still not like hidden. Um, and Leno is very undervalued in my opinion. Would you start him for the next five years? Probably not given, given his age, but he's had three straight years of 74.9, 81.2 and 71.6 overall season grades at offensive tackle. That's, very good play at a valuable position. And his current ranking is around the 30th round of a startup draft uh, as we sit here today. So he can give you perhaps two solid more years of play at offensive tackle. And then, you know, just kind of looking ahead a bit here, we had some draft talk early on uh, in this episode, but you could take one of the top offensive tackles, say in the rookie draft next year, as that should be a good tackle class. And you give yourself some real value at a premium position in a startup this year with a vet like Charles Leno, and then sort of set your roster up for the future uh, with a young player coming up in maybe the 2024 rookie draft. And that allows you to, again, address some other positions that are not quite as deep early on in a startup. So it's, it's kind of a strategy play that, that you could take here. Uh, if you, if you get someone like Charles Leno, who is falling a little bit, not necessarily because of his quality of play, but just because of his age, people see 31 plus years old and they want to go elsewhere, chase some upside at offensive tackle, which I totally get. And usually what I do as well, but I think this is a really uh, interesting play that you could have with someone like Charles Leno at offensive tackle. Um, you know, in your, in your draft strategy here. The only thing is just don't start him versus Micah Parsons when they play the Cowboys. That, that goes for just about any offensive tackle in the league, except for maybe like three or four. Nice. I knew you had to throw that in there at the end, uh, but that's a great choice. Um, you know, offensive linemen, especially tackles, a position that I typically try to draft early and often in all 22 drafts. Uh, but when I didn't, and there were leagues where I didn't, I saw myself streaming Charles Leno, right? Like I'd either draft him myself later on, or he was somebody that I was always looking for in trades because he does grade decently well, right? Um, 
It's funny. It's funny that we both went offensive line in Washington, considering that has been their weakness the last few years. And the defensive side of the ball has been so strong. But I think it says something to kind of the defensive side of the ball where it almost feels as if they've missed their window a little bit, where that dominant defense that we all expected maybe didn't come, right? And maybe they missed the boat on it. I think I, I think Emmanuel Forbes makes it a little bit easier for them, right? They, they lacked a little bit in the, um, the backside of that defense. So Forbes will help that out. But then you look at like Chase Young, and if they if they truly missed on Chase Young, and Chase Young isn't going to be this game changing, you know, edge rusher, I don't know. That defensive side of the ball could could end up being a weakness there instead of a strength. Yeah, that, that's the one thing they were missing was that sort of that that quality secondary over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They finally get it, and then it's like, okay, yeah, is the window closed? And and that's why it's. It's it's tough. It's tough building a full a full team here. Uh, a lot of things have to go your way, even if you make the right moves. Right? I, nobody sat there and said Chase Young wasn't the clear consensus pick uh, a couple years ago, right? But you know, sometimes just bad breaks happen, and that really leaves a, a void and a hole, and kind of closes that window quicker than you think because those picks are so valuable when you do miss on them, if, if they do, or even if he comes back and he's just a top 20 type of edge rusher, that's a good player, but for where you took him and what you invested in him, it's harsh to say, but that would be a miss still. So, and, and those do come back to bite you. But um, again, we love the Forbes pick, right? Got some sleepers on the offensive line there. They got some good weapons on the outside. So they're still kind of a, let like a puncher, you know, in the ring there, so to speak, on a week to week basis, they have the ability to to score on you and to still kind of muck things up, at least in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a pretty rowdy, rough team to to watch on a week to week basis, where maybe they're not always firing on all cylinders, they're not a high, uh, you know, high flying just you know, Kansas city chiefs type offense, just given you don't know what you're going to get out of Sam Howell, for example. Um, but an interesting team to watch because there's some pieces there. There's some upside pieces. There's some just kind of consistent, uh, you know, solid pieces. And then there's those that, um, especially at the quarterback position, right. Where you don't know what you're going to get and there could be some good flashes, but also some low lows and you just kind of got to ride it out and see what you got. Cool. So um, a few weeks ago, we did the AFC West and you talked about the Cardinals and you picked Isaiah Simmons, who is now on the Giants, right? And a few weeks ago, I kind of ridiculed you for choosing Isaiah Simmons. And I think I would do it again if that was still the case, just because that team has been one of the worst organizations in the NFL over the last five years. Simmons now is going to the Giants, which is kind of being seen as this up and coming team, right? It's got a new head coach from last year that did really well. Uh, defensive coordinator is one of the best in the NFL and likes to blitz. He's a very blitz heavy uh, coordinator and they bring in Simmons who was drafted, uh, you know, way higher than probably he should have been, but has been used as a Swiss army knife for that defense. One of the things that I always try to say is with the linebackers, it's about giving them a consistent job and not asking them to do too much. So when you drafted Isaiah Simmons and his, and he graded, you know, very poorly in my mind, it's because he was asked to do way too much as a young player in the NFL. So just for context, Simmons lined up on the defensive line 432 times in the box, a thousand times as a safety 63 times in the slot, 641 times. And then as an outside corner, 65 times. 
That is in his first three years. So he has basically played every position in the NFL and like pretty evenly split among corner defensive line and uh, you know, as a, like a linebacker. Right. So you look at that and you say like, that's you're setting this player up to not be successful. He played 239 uh, snaps so far on his career as a pass rusher. So 239 snaps rushing the passer. And in those snaps, he had 20 hurries and seven sacks. So basically he had a hurry every 12 snaps that he played at edge rusher for context last year. Uh, the fifth best edge rusher for hurries was Daniel Hunter. He had 47, which puts him at a rate of 12.12. So obviously the sample size is much different, right? I'm looking at the entire career of Simmons, right? And the amount of snaps he has is probably half of what Hunter had just last year alone. But in those snaps, he did it just as efficiently as Hunter did. So now again, he goes to the Giants who like to blitz a lot, right? And I could just see them. We've talked about this. We've tweeted this, that we think that he's going to be that kind of pass rusher for the Giants. I don't think he's Micah Parsons. I don't think he's a linebacker that can purely be this edge rusher and be successful. But I do think that he can be a role player. You know, as a as a first round pick, you need him to be Micah Parsons, right? As a top five or whatever he was pick, that's what you need him to be. The Giants investment being, what was it? A sixth round pick or something like that. So much smaller where if he ends up just being a role player, but a very effective role player as a, as a you know, he, they bring him in to rush the passer or they bring him in to play safety every once in a while. I think he could be very, very effective in that role. So I love this for the Giants. And I think this could be a great investment for you as an all 22 owner, because, you know, where do we have him listed as, right? He's probably at linebacker or safety, right? So you get kind of edge rusher production on limited snaps but he's going to grade out for a safety. So it's low risk for you as well. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to copy my homework from a couple episodes ago and just take all the reasons why I like Isaiah Simmons and just, you know, recycle it for the giants. But yeah, it's wink Martindale. I think we tweeted about this, right? Wink Martindale is an aggressive defensive play caller. And I think what we noticed with Isaiah Simmons is that he's at his best when he is, it's, it's actually a little weird. He's at his best when he's moving forwards. And moving backwards, it's like, okay, well, what other directions are there as a defensive player, right? But we mean in the sense of he's not a read and react linebacker, right? He may have big linebacker size, but that's just not his game, right? He's a, a, an effective pass rusher or has shown to be an effective pass rusher so far. And then in, in pass coverage as well with his length, he has also shown some adeptness uh, in pass coverage. Where he has struggled is when it came to that diagnosing and and reading and reacting and such. And so I think with uh, with Wink Martindale, that's not what he's going to ask him to do. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to ask him to to blitz and rush the passer, and probably drop back in those passing lanes and and kind of muck things up because he's got that six four plus frame and and that length is really hard to throw over and around for quarterbacks in the passing game. So. Um, yeah, I, I think I think with the DNA of Wink Martindale, he's just going to use him either one of those two ways uh, and not necessarily in any traditional linebacker sense, which is where Isaiah Simmons would get into trouble. So I think it's it's a great landing spot for, for Isaiah Simmons. And kind of similar to that, I went with uh, Xavier McKinney. Um, and, you know, we still have to kind of see how the roles ultimately shake up, right? But uh, Julian Love is no longer there in New York. And I feel like I picked safeties a lot this series, but that's probably because there just aren't a lot of outwardly good ones, right? So the ones that are good and maybe gems are kind of 
hidden, which is the point of the segment, right? Uh, Xavier McKinney's been banged up for the last couple years, uh, and it really seemed to catch up to him last season. But in 2021 and 2020, he posted uh, you know solid 70 plus grades, uh, and is set for another big role on that defense. Uh, so you can envision a scenario where that pass rush really improves with uh, the development of Kayvon Thibodeau. We mentioned the creativity of Wink Martindale and how he's going to use a piece like Isaiah Simmons to go along with their already like really stout interior defensive line. So the foundation of that defense can be a big contributor to the success of someone like Xavier McKinney on the back end. Uh, but the flip side of that is I'm still a little worried about the corners in front of him. If someone like Deontay Banks has a big role early on at corner, it's a great sign for Banks, but a rookie corner could put the back end of the defense in some tough spots when he just kind of goes through those typical growing pains that you see from, from young players. So that may make someone like McKinney matchup dependent based on opponent. But uh, I think overall it's, it's a, it's a pretty make or break year for Xavier McKinney. And if he's healthy, I think you can go back and see some of those uh, more quality performances that we saw a couple of years ago, you know, come to fruition again in 2023. Yeah, that's a good pick. And safety is another position that's super difficult to draft and it's hard to find a guy that's consistent. I think not only, you know, you're calling out and saying this is going to be a good player, somebody to bet on. But I think the Giants are doing the same thing for the reasons you said, right? They get rid of Julian Love. But not only that, they actually named McKinney a captain for that position group. So, you know, they're they're thinking about him as a leader of this team. Um, so I think they're expecting big things too. Uh, let's go to the Cowboys, right? So um, my typical tackle that I like is, is body control, uh, good hands, all of those things that, you know, we talked about with like Abraham Lucas, right? Those are the guys I like. But there's also guys like Terrence Steele, right, who who are undrafted free agents, probably didn't deserve, you know, the shot in the league at first, but proved that they deserve to be there with their play, right? He's, he's switched between left and right tackle in the past, but he's kind of settled in now at right tackle. Um, and he's, he's a guy that's essentially blown away expectations. Uh, the reason I talked about like the body control guys is still isn't really that player. He's, he's an effort player. And that's something that, you know, like back in the day, that's what I prided myself on, right? Like, you know, being, being undersized, you know, you kind of have to be an effort player. He's not, he's definitely not undersized, but he's an effort player where you see snaps that he has against like Joey Bosa, where he's just not afraid to battle, right? He doesn't have great form. He's definitely losing the battle, but he's putting everything that he has into it. And there are snaps that he actually wins, right? And he comes out fine, right? And he protects his quarterback, which is the most important thing. So I really liked that in Terrence Steele's uh, tape. Um, but besides that, just look at his grading, right? He um, he he essentially had a 73.9 grade last year, which is really good. And it's the second season where he was consistently kind of playing at one position. This is going to be the third. And I expect him to really settle in at right tackle and just be more consistent, right? Have better technique, have a better frame. Um, you get to do that when you play one position and, you know, he hadn't really done that early on in his career. So I'm betting on a guy like Steele. I love the high effort. I like some of the things in his game. He has a powerful punch. Uh, one thing I'd say he he definitely loses a bit on is he he punches a little too hard at times where the defensive end or the edge rusher gets separation from his body and ends up being able to get that second move and get around him. You know, uh, quarterback holding on to the ball a little bit too long could could cause problems for a guy like Steele. But Dak, again, we talked about is, is a pro's pro and can get the ball out quick. So I like it. I like Steele. He's a guy I'm going to bet on. Don't necessarily want him as a starter on my team, but if he's my fourth tackle, I'm really happy about that. 
Yeah, Terrence Steele's a brawler. And um, I think I think we see a lot of it on social media as far as all the different linemen that work with Duke Manyweather and the impact that he has on offensive line play. I think Terrence Steele might be the greatest example of how Duke Manyweather can really help and develop an offensive lineman because if you just go back and watch Terrence Steele at like the senior bowl, you know, a few years ago, you would you would have thought this guy would be gone the first round of cuts in a training camp and he was nothing more than a camp body at that time. And but similar to how you described his style of play, that's just kind of how his approach is to the game. He's just kind of a, a scrappy, just brawler. And when you are six six with super long arms and you have that uh, tenacity uh, on a snap to snap basis, you, you kind of just stick around, stick around until you get a shot and then you just kind of ran with it. So he's coming off of a knee injury suffered during the, the season last year, but was you know basically a full participant for most of training camp already and is set to you know, just being the starting lineup week one uh, at his usual right tackle spot. They solidified Zach Martin's contract uh, next to him over at that right guard spot. So uh, the surroundings are familiar again. And so I think you can expect more of the same from Terrence Steele. Uh, I went on the other side of of the ball here and went with cornerback Deron Bland, who showed a knack for playmaking last year as a rookie with five interceptions and I think two pass breakups, which I'm pretty sure that interception uh, total led all rookies. And this was, I think, a fifth round draft pick uh, in the 2022 draft. And so he finished the season with a 74.9 coverage grade, primarily from the slot last year, which will be his primary role again this season with uh, Stefan Gilmore opposite Trayvon Diggs on the outside. Uh, and what we've seen from those playmaking type of corners like Diggs in Dan Quinn's scheme is that year over year, they steadily kind of improve on a down-to-down basis, uh, you know, whether or not they get that that same amount of turnovers and, and interceptions and such, that can be variable, right? That that can vary based on targets and and just, you know, the bounce of a ball at times. But that steady improvement that we've seen elsewhere from players kind of like, uh, you know, bland with his style of play, if you look at someone like Trevon Diggs, kind of gives me a good feeling about Deron Bland as well. They're really high on him in Dallas. Plus you have Micah Parsons as a full-time edge now. They invested in the defensive line in the draft. So the surroundings on that defense are great for a young player to continue to develop who's already shown that knack for playmaking. And now it's just a matter of sort of rounding the rest of his game into form. And we sort of have some proof of concept with that already at the cornerback position under Dan Quinn in Dallas. So uh, I like the arrow pointing up for Deron Bland as a, as a hidden gem from Dallas. Nice. That's a really good pick. Something you didn't mention, right? You said that Stefan Gilmore's there, but I've already heard rumors that he's really helping out that cornerback group. That is a young group, right? He wants to see uh, Diggs become one of the best corners in the league. He's helping him become that. But you look at a guy, you know, like the guy you're talking about and saying, what can he do for him, right? A guy that as a rookie had five interceptions, you know, maybe this cornerback room is going to be special in a couple of years, right? If it's not this year. Um, so that's a great pick. I like that. Um, I'm going to talk about the Eagles. I'm going to talk about Kenny Gainwell. Um, after an offseason where they added, uh, the Eagles added DeAndre Swift, they had Rashad Penny, they had Trey Sermon. Kenny Genwell seems, seems to be their favorite. He's getting all the first team reps. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because when you look at what they are trying to do there in the Eagles, right, they're trying to be this fast paced uh, kind of high octane offense, right? And they run a lot of RPO. 
So you insert a guy like Gainwell, who is more of that than probably any of those other guys, right? Like definitely more than Penny, definitely more than Sermon. Um, maybe Swift is one of those guys too. Uh, but Swift just really hasn't proven himself in the NFL yet. And if he was going to do it, right, he had all the opportunity to do it with the Lions. Uh, so maybe there's just something missing from his game. So I look at Kenny Gainwell and I say, you know, he's a guy that in two years, he had 121 rushing attempts, which is basically nothing. But in those attempts, he has a 4.4 yard per carry number and he has 73 receptions. Excuse me, he has 73 receiving targets. So, you know, not extreme numbers, but it also means he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. Uh, the rumors, you know, the last couple of weeks were that they, the Eagles were in on Jonathan Taylor, but that hasn't happened, right? They didn't go and get Jonathan Taylor. Taylor's now going to be out the first four games, no matter what. So even if the Eagles do end up trading for him down the road, it's not going to be now. And we're going to get to see gain well in this offense and see what he can really do if he's given first team reps, uh, just with how good this offense is, right? With the receiving weapons they have, with the offensive line they have, Gainwell is just going to be kind of like this afterthought. And being an afterthought sometimes isn't the worst thing in the world because it leads to production, right? Hidden production. So uh, all 22 is basically a game that I play with that zero running back strategy. Like I don't draft running backs until very, very late just because they have, you know, the weight is under 3%. It's the, you know, if it's not the lowest uh, position in all 22, it's bottom three. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so I don't really think about investing in a running back when, you know, think about a center, right? So the two probably lowest positions in all 22, you could have a center for 15 years, right? Jason Kelsey is proving that centers will play a long time in the NFL. So if you get a good one, they can play a really long time. Running back is not the same thing there, right? So where maybe I would invest in a center, uh, I wouldn't do the same thing in a running back in all 22 because again, like they just, they don't last. So similar to how the NFL is treating it, right? Where a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who's considered one of the best guys and is a young guy in the NFL, they don't want to resign that guy. So for me, I would rather take a bet on a guy like Gainwell, not put all my money in a Jonathan Taylor. I'll just take Gainwell and, you know, being that hidden guy in that offense, he could have a great year. So I'm excited about Gainwell. That's my hidden gem. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting you went there because outside of that, the way I look at the rest of that roster is there's nothing hidden about this roster. I think everything with this roster is what you see is what you get. And that's a testament to what Howie Roseman has done. Right. Uh, but basically anywhere else you look, it's an established player with a, with a history of production or someone with, you know, a high amount of investment in like a, you know, a Jalen Carter or Jordan Davis or something like that. Right. So there really is no hidden gem in this roster. It's just a bunch of gems just all over the place. Um, and I, I think the way he's constructed that roster uh, is, as you mentioned, with the lower value position, uh, so to speak, at running back sort of being where you just kind of churn uh, some of these not some of these assets where you didn't invest so highly in, but because of what you've built, you get that same production out of them um, is is the right way to do it. And so that allows someone like Gainwell to be a gem uh, based off of based off of everything you mentioned there. And so, yeah, outside of that, there's nothing else hidden about this roster. I mean, I'm not going to pick that safety. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Reed Blankenship. Blankenship. No, that is not a hidden gem. That, no, it's not. He's not a hidden gem. So, uh, yeah, I think Gainwell is really the only answer here in Philly because everything else is 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 basically a known asset and a quality known asset at that. So, uh, kudos to Howie Roseman on that one. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, even like you look at uh, your boy from last year, Nicobe Dean, right? Like he was the top talked about linebacker and they got him in like the fourth round or something, right? And he's going to be starting this year, but it's not a hidden gem. Everybody loves Nicobe Dean. So I, yeah, I agree with your take. Uh, probably not something we need to do there and go into. Um, but yeah, all right. So guys, uh, not next week, but the week after is the start of the NFL season. We have a week off before things are going to really heat up. Um, and I'm thinking Ray and I might get into a little bit of a different strategy with this podcast, doing some some more episodes, uh, you know, maybe get back into that daily routine. We'll see. We'll see what we have time for. Um, but yeah, we're excited. We're super excited for the NFL season. Get yourself ready. And again, if you haven't yet, sign up for All 22 using promo code Second Season for $20 off your All 22 membership for 2023. That's a number two ND season for $20 off your All 22 membership in 2023. If you haven't yet, um, go sign up. And thank you for tuning in. Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at All 22 PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.